Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I have the rare opportunity to talk to two people at the same time. Let's see how I do this. Uh, welcome, Justin Fallon and David Greenspan. How are you both? Doing great. Thanks, Michael. Nice to be here. Yeah, good to be here. Likewise. So uh, why don't you both uh, introduce yourselves and then we'll dive into the conversation. We'll, we'll start with David. Sure. Uh, my name is David Greenspan. Um, I live in Austin, Texas. I'm one of the co-founders of Blue Case Strategic Partners. I have a two daughters, a two-year-old and a seven-year-old. And um, my background is that I have a PhD in a field called high-performance psychology. So looking at why do certain teams and individuals perform at exceptional levels, even in suboptimal circumstances, they still hit it out of the park. And what what can we do to in companies as individuals and as teams to apply that within the company? And then I have worked as a consultant and coach for um, the Fortune and FTSE 100 companies and a lot of small, smaller, fast-growing startups as well. Justin? Great. Yeah. Um, uh, my name is Justin Fallen. I'm the CEO of Bluecase, which uh, co-founded with David and uh, also the author of Be a Better Team by Friday along with David, which is uh, something I'm excited to talk about. I love that title and, and the work that both of you have done. So before we dive into the book, how did the two of you uh, connect with each other and, and come to uh, work with each other at Blue Case and obviously this book? Well, David and I go way back. We've been friends much longer than we've been business partners. And uh, from from a very long time ago, we would get together and ask the question, well, what would be possible? How do we bring this shared passion for high performance, for transformational cultures, for big, big actions and big events in the world? We really had a shared interest in making people's lives better, making the world better. And, uh, you know, over the years, we talked about it. we we had this, some ideas, some conversations for possibility about it. And, and David is the original founder of Blue Case. And he brought me in to help, help scale the company from, from where it was to where it is now. That's amazing work. And, you know, I'm obviously a big fan of it because, you know, I do a lot of keynote talks and write a lot about burnout and workplace culture and the great resignation, quiet quitting, quiet staying, uh, and all the other things that are going on. And it's, it's always been an interest of mine too. And I love, you know, how David started off with this about, okay, we have a team that's in an environment that probably isn't the best, but they're crushing it. And then you have organizations that literally give you all the resources you could ever want to be able to do your job. And they're just misfiring. There's all kinds of issues and, you know, diving into the human dynamic of it. And that's where, you know, the, the, the brain work that, uh, that you've done in understanding, you know, all of that work really comes into play because there's a lot to that. A lot of people think it's just mechanical. It's this piece and this piece. They have these resources and it'll just work. And 
you know, you could look at sports analogies, you know, back before the Yankees won all their championships in the late 90s and early 2000s. Steinbrenner was dumping a ton of money and he had a team one through nine of all stars and and they wouldn't win until he found some pieces or the GM found some pieces, some key players, your Scott Brocious's of the world and and all of that. And, and, and all of a sudden they started winning because they had some key people to complement the all-stars. So it wasn't all, you know, Hall of Fame type of players on the team. There was a good mixture and it, it just it the right ingredients came into play. And it's the same thing with workplaces. It's it's finding those right ingredients. Well, you know, I have a story about that. When I the way that I first got into this field of high performance psychology, I had actually graduated from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, where uh, I had just graduated, wasn't sure what I was going to be doing with my career, and I was serving as a waiter in the banquet hall at the Alumni Center at the university. And one Friday night, I'm there, and I'm serving the basketball team. Uh, it was their very first game of the season the next day, and I was a waiter in their, in their, uh, in their pre-dinner. And uh, this was at the time when they had been the losingest team in the history of the school. So these same five guys that were the losingest team in the history of the school were in that room. And it was the very first season when North Carolina had brought in the coach, Roy Williams from the University of Kansas. So I was in that room. I'm seeing him coach the team. I was standing in the back of the room while he was talking to each of them. And it was literally like, I felt that I could win a national championship. Something about him was so inspiring. And he took that same group of five guys and two years later, they'd won a national championship. So that really got me in, into my investigation of what was that? What was what was it that he did? And that's the kind of stuff we bring into the teams that we work with. We're great coaches and we bring in the skills and the practices and the disciplines that make great people a great team. And that's what's in our book. You know, it's important work. It's, I'm sure I, if I was in that room, literally it would be like one of those things where probably awkward, but you know, I was like, I'm just going to sit on the floor like we did in kindergarten with our legs folded and just kind of look up at the teacher and, and take in the, take in the lesson because yeah, you, you were, you were served leadership gold right there. And obviously it, it, this is the amazing thing about you. You were in there as a waiter and serving that team that was not great. And you got exposure to pep talk or a speech or some guidance and some teaching that impacted your career. Mm -hmm. it, that's the beauty of, and that's why I tell people, it's like, you can't win if you're not in the ring or in the field or in the game, get out there, go to talks, go to things, listen to people, go places, experience things because you'll have a conversation or you'll see something and you'll be amazed, you know, you know, give a real quick story. And it's, you know, nowhere near uh, the same as this, but you know, one of the things that I do when, you know, when the weather's lousy, because I go for a morning walk every morning, but when the weather's lousy, there's a mall really close to me. So I'm the youngest of the mall walkers by probably two decades. They always look at me like, what's wrong with me? But I'm, um, you know, I'm getting in a morning walk, getting in a 5k. So there's a store in this mall uh, that makes popcorn, you know, so they sell popcorn and all that stuff. And there's 
you know, a, a young woman that works in there during the days, during the weekdays. And she's got a system and I'm not like staring at just because I walk by, but I, you know, I walk by at different times and I've been able to piece together the system that she has and she's able to get everything done. She's like moving around and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm watching this work ethic and I'm literally going, you are going to go so far in your career if you continue this ethic of what you're doing, because you've got it. And she's moving. She doesn't look like, you know, typical zombie people at 730 in the morning, like a lot of people are. And she's just, she's hustling. She's moving around, but she seems to have a, you know, pleasant expression on her face. I've never talked to her. I've never bought anything from the store. I probably should, but it's just, I, it's just one of those things that caught my, I'm like, I, I really love watching magic happen or something really experienced. So, you know, again, not the same as the Roy Williams situation, but it's just one of those things that I take in and go, okay, this is, there's a lesson here uh, for a lot of people to see on how to approach, you know, an activity or work. So, you know, thank you for sharing the Roy Williams stuff. So let's dive into this book. Um, and I always love asking authors, why in the world would you sacrifice so much of your life to write a book? Because it's, it's not a quick adventure for by any stretch. So David, love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Well, a couple things. One, we're, we were, we're asked all the time, Hey, can you just sum up what it is that you do? How do you, you know, how do you become high performance? What are those practices? What are those, those tools and techniques? And we wrote a book so that basically anyone who has that question could answer, couldn't actually know the answers and and take it. And it's very practical and could literally, you know, go through this and follow it sort of step by step and apply it within their organization, whatever that organization looks like. And um, we wanted to have a much bigger impact too, and to share this because we are a boutique firm and we work with a certain number of companies, but we wanted to share this with everybody because we think that the result of these practices are healthier workplaces, more engaged workplaces, places where people feel like they can bring all of their passion and all their engagement into the companies. And ultimately it results in happier people, happier companies, uh, a world that works for everyone. Yeah, I loved how you said that because it's just one of those passions for me uh, dealing with people that are burned out because if they're burned out, their their productivity is lousy uh, because they just can't be as productive and they're disengaged, they're upset, they're angry, they're mad at people, they blame the company, they quit and guess what? Oh, wow, the new job's just like the old one, huh? That's weird. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's when that happens... It, it robs society of great products and services. So if you have, like you said, healthy companies and where people can thrive and feel and actually see the results of their contributions and connect those dots on why their work is so important for the greater good of that company, that community, society, it just creates so much better things for all of us. And it's there. We see it. It happens in companies. There's no reason why it can't be done by others. But you know, sometimes, and I know the work that you've done, you run into companies like that that are, you know, on that side of the bell curve that they just don't want to budge at all. Um, it's but it's a case of you know you focus on focus on the middle. You know, help them kind of move along, and eventually, hopefully, those stragglers will connect or. You know they'll they'll find other opportunities. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of times it's not the the CEO actually he or she wants to do it. They just don't know exactly how because the reality is they have all these pressures on themselves and they have to improve their numbers. They have to, you know, they're dealing with with all difficult challenges from their com- threats from competitors, um, changing marketplace, the influence of AI. And they want to understand how, while we're moving so quickly, do we do this? And part of why we wanted to we wanted to create this as a more of a how-to manual is to show that as you use this, you can actually apply this really quickly. So it's not theoretical. The book is very much, you you read about a concept, you'll understand it, and you can apply it in the next few minutes after you you read it. And it will literally make you better in the next meeting, the next conversation you have. Because we relate to leadership as a conversation and how you're having the conversations, which conversations you're having, which conversations you're not. And um, we give you some some tools and practices to actually just be more effective at when you're executing your your day to day work and and your thinking. And I'd love to hear Justin's thoughts on that as well. Uh, yeah, you know, I was telling somebody the other day we wrote a book called "Be a Better Team by Friday," and it's about how to really work together better as a team and and really with the people stuff. And they said, "Oh, you mean the hard stuff about work?" And I, I think that's really important because. A lot of people, they're very trained at their jobs. They're great programmers. They're great at marketing. They're great at sales. But it's those interpersonal challenges. It's the competing commitments that each department has. It's the silos that start to emerge when you got a whole different set of priorities and a whole different, almost little mini cultures inside of a big culture. Uh, and, and it is hard to work with people. It is hard to work with people with different uh, styles of working with different commitments to what they're doing with different goals. And um, a lot of times, it's not that people aren't good at their jobs. It's that nobody learned how to do this together. They're just kind of put on a team. And so you don't have a team, you have a group. And building a team, just like that, just like at the University of North Carolina, when there's a championship basketball team, well, they're all good enough to win a national championship. But they had to learn how to play together differently to be able to do it. And, and it's the same for the teams that we work with inside of the companies we work with. If an executive team has interpersonal dynamics that aren't working, if you see tension between engineering and marketing, for instance, on the executive team, you're going to see that expand into the entire organization and those departments have tension. And so getting getting a team to be aligned around a clear shared set of practices, a shared set of tools, even shared language, that's what starts dissolving those tensions and actually has teams become thriving and and high performing as as a team. It's not just because of the, you know, things feel good, there's good perks and you got a foosball table. That's not what makes high performance cultures. High performance cultures require a clear set of tools of how you will operate. And that's what we're providing here is, is the foundations of what we do when we go in and we accelerate teams' abilities to work together. Yeah, it was, it, a lot of times it goes back to their onboarding or lack thereof. And unfortunately, a lot of organizations were, you said a moment ago, it's like you're put on a team, but you don't know anything about the team. You're like, okay, we, we just make it work here. Oh, okay. That's that's some really good onboarding. Thanks so much for that. I could have figured that out from the job post. But you see it time and time again where a lot of organizations kind of miss the boat on that initial stage. And even when they're promoted into a new role or they transfer departments, it's like, okay, 
welcome to you know the engineering group and this is these are all the people here's their you know their resumes or cvs or their bios and backgrounds and all of that establish kind of a mentor mentee type of thing to help them be successful because ultimately i even the ceos that are overwhelmed i know this the you know, majority of those people and managers as well they want their teams to be successful but again there's so many things being thrown at them they don't necessarily know okay what do i gotta do this what do i gotta do this and they they get this fear of missing out fear of dropping the ball concerned about this thinking about how am i going to pay for my uh education at UNC, what what am I gonna do? What do you mean you want to go to Duke? You know, I, just, I had to throw that. I had to throw that in. Um, but yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. I grew up in Michigan. We're, we 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 share a same love for Duke uh, as UNC does. Uh, but anyway, uh, but they no, I'm not gonna go down that road. But anyway, ultimately, it, it boils down to. You know, set up your team for success. You, you know, what do you, what are you trying to accomplish? Make sure they have all the tools that they need to do their job really well, to shine. And and when you do that and have conversations with them, it makes a big difference. And I'll and I'll share. And I've shared this story before on on the podcast. I took over as an interim originally, and then I ended up staying there for four years. But I took over a primary care healthcare clinic that was in existence, I think it was their third year. And for the first two years, they were averaging about 86% turnover. And it wasn't a McDonald's. This was a medical clinic with master's level and above educated professionals. And they were losing close to nine out of 10 people every year for the first two years. And it was, and it wasn't a situation of like bad hires where they're just hiring people that weren't qualified. No, they were all qualified to do the job, but the environment was so toxic. There was no trust. There was no communication. There was infighting between the doctors and the staff, and it was just a mess. So I went in and, you know, basically, and I used it to my advantage that I was interim. And because that created a, an element of trust. And that look, I'm I'm not on any, you know, I'm not trying to be favorites to the, the board or the doctors or anything like that. I'm I'm trying to make this a healthy workplace. So, you know, I had conversations with all the clinicians and I asked them, okay, if you were running this organization, what would you change? What would you do? What what are some things you're seeing? And I would, you know, gather all that information and basically look for the low fr flying fruit and implemented them immediately you know you, you, you like your book you know, it's like oh here's some things i could do let's do this immediately all of a sudden i did you know a handful of those things it got their attention you know they're like somebody's listening to us and that continued while i was there for four years and you know people asked okay you know it went from basically 86 percent turnover and then after my first year it was reduced to six percent and i didn't let go. I didn't go like all Jack Welch and start dehiring a bunch of people. No, I, you know, there was a couple people that uh, we did move on because they just weren't the right fit there. They were great at other places because I gave them great references. They were great people. They just weren't the right fit there, but it was only a couple. Uh, and then was able to recruit, able to bring on additional people, uh, got additional funding, 
recruited additional physicians, grew the clinic, uh, just a lot of new programs. It was an underserviced area, so helping people that didn't normally get access to a lot of this type of care. So it just did a lot of great things with it. And it was sitting down and asking them, what would they do if they ran it? And what are some things we can do to make it better here? And just continue to have that conversation. It wasn't a one-off. I did it for four years and turned the place around. And it, it's one of those things where I looked at that. And I'm like, okay, that was probably, it wasn't easy, but it was it was one where I, I could tell it's like there's opportunity here. Some places are a lot harder to make those shifts, but you know, again, that's you know why I love the you know the the book and this conversation is it it, it ties in so much with what I want for organizations because you know, being selfish, I want great companies out there doing great things, and you do too. Definitely, and it's a great story, great example of one of our practices. I, I, the second practice in our book is called getting real with each other, and uh, that is is basically underlying what you're saying when there is low trust. As Google's Aristotle project has found, as Pat Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team points out, if there's low trust, it's the number one indicator of a, of a low-performing team. It's the number one thing. If you got low trust, you're low-performing. If you got high trust, the performance is higher. It's that, it's that direct. And what you're talking about is a big part of how you build that, which is how do you create a culture where you can have open conversations and give and receive feedback? And the way you do it is by the leaders of the company going out and actually asking for feedback and listening and saying what's going well, what can we improve? And uh, I, I have a number of different examples of asking CEOs when I've been coaching with them to go out, do exactly what you did. And they come back with information that they're that just shocked them. They had no idea what the perception was across the company. And that immediately starts to shift how they as leaders can think about uh, reorienting their culture, creating teams where it's okay to say that stuff, to be open and honest about what's going well, but also what's not working well. And to really be vulnerable yourself so that you as a leader exemplify that it's okay to make mistakes. I'm, I got your back, you got mine. And, and so we, we see it as a pivotal pillar of making those great organizational cultures that you're talking about. So thanks for sharing that. My pleasure. David, love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. And I think it's also the other piece is it's, it's not a one-time, it's not a one-time action. You know, you're building trust or killing trust in every conversation, every time you're listening and feedback isn't a one-time thing. It needs to be, you know, we talk about you should get feedback the way athletes do, which is they get feedback all day, every day. Um, and, and it's real time and it's fast and it's targeted towards helping them move forward. Um, not, and it's energizing for them. And so how do you actually give feedback in that way? Right. And how do you create the kind of vulnerable, vulnerability based trust so that people can give you feedback? You know, on an ongoing basis, and they can share the real conversations. Because a lot of times, people aren't sharing those those real conversations. Like all those people in the healthcare clinic, they were thinking them and they were sharing them with others. They just weren't sharing them with, you know, the CEO um, or the you know the clinic leader. And once they did, everything could change. Right? There are all these great. There's all this great innovation. And so part of what we're trying to do is we're trying to unlock that innovation that exists in a company, but it's offline. And part of the reason that innovation and that intelligence is offline is because people haven't built that rapport. They haven't built that. The leaders themselves haven't been vulnerable. They haven't been listening deeply. 
to them. They haven't been asking for feedback. They've been too much in the directing, just telling people and not actually learning from the incredible people in the company. A follow-up question on that with the rapport. Um, your thoughts on the remote work that we've been doing over the last... I mean, remote work has been around for a long time, but over the last three years uh, because of the pandemic, you know, how has that changed the dynamic for some organizations? I know some are doing great with it. Some really seem to be struggling with it, and some are so-so. So I'd love to hear your your insights on that. Um, we have clients who are coming back to work. That's what they want to do. They want to be in person because that's their culture and others who really embraced remote work. But during 2020, obviously everyone was remote. So a big part of our work was working with our clients, going into the complete Zoom environment and doing the exact same work we do in person because these principles of communication, of trust building, of getting things done, of focusing your efforts, of choosing your mindsets. These are all things that you do together in, uh, in conversation. So at the beginning of this conversation, David was saying leadership is a conversation. Leadership itself is a conversation. And so where are you having the conversations? I think the only thing about the remote environment that is difficult for our work is when the conversations aren't happening. And so as long as there's a structure for fulfillment of making sure that we're in connection, we're in communication, and we're driving results forward, it's very, very possible. And, and we've worked with a number of, of companies that not only thrived during COVID, uh, I think with our help, also were able to exit uh, after COVID and with you know incredi an incredible uh, result. So it's quite possible to make a coordinated action with, with the online environment, and I'm a believer in it. But I think if a culture wants to be in person, that's very important to them. Also, that's you know it's a prerogative. I, I think less is lost personally based on my own experience of what I've seen. That's good. It reminds me of a client that I had during the pandemic, uh, insurance, multi-state insurance company, and their sales team was really struggling um, because they were used to going out, having lunches and dinners, and hanging out with the clients, you know, building up their business and all of that. And when we were all told we can't go out and play, we you know had to do Zoom calls, and they weren't comfortable with it, and their sales obviously started to drop a little bit. So I was brought in and basically you know simplified it as quickly as I could to say, look, you can sell water to the ocean. Okay, you're going to use a different tool now. But you're still going to have those conversations. Be real, make fun of your background. You know, ask you know the client about their background. You know, don't worry about the dog barking because UPS just showed up, or you know, your grandkids, or your kids are screaming or yelling because the brother threw something at the other brother. You know, all these real life things that happen. And once they, it basically gave themselves permission to feel a little vulnerable and like, yeah, I'm still good at selling. And then like next no time, you know, their sales returned and, you know, they were able to think of new ways to, you know, reach out to a broader audience than they were able to before and lined up business and, and you know, return to things. And they had a little bit of a bump as well. So it was just a reminder. It's like, yeah, don't let the camera and the screen change it. It's a conversation. Like, you know, David had said, it's, you know, it's a conversation. Um, and you keep those going and you'll be able to navigate through these things and make it, 
you know, make it easier for people and, and be vulnerable. Say, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with Zoom. You know, I, I, I'm not good at it. Okay, great. All right. Well, if we have to go old school, pick up the phone. You know, I know for some people, it's this little icon on your iPhone, your Android. It looks like a phone handle. That that's the phone. I don't know a lot of people use it. They use the apps more, but uh, but there is a phone device on these things. It's amazing. I've used it a couple times. But again, it just boils down to just communication and understanding and and finding the common goals of of making the organization thrive and shine. And when you do that, you have a healthy company. You have a healthy company. They're going to do great things. To your point, you know, part of the way we relate to this is you want to be adaptive and agile as leaders and as teams. And if you can't play a game because it's too sunny outside or it's raining a little bit or it's snowing or the, the field conditions have changed, you're not going to be a good athlete. Same thing. You need, you should be in lead, in a company. You should be able to lead a fantastic meeting on Zoom, a fantastic meeting in person. Um, you know, soon in the future, we'll be doing meetings that have augmented reality. You should be able to lead a great meeting augmented reality. You should be able to lead a hybrid meeting. And again, to Justin's point, like again, as soon as you understand some of these principles and concepts, they apply regardless of the medium. And and so you have the ability to adapt and be agile um, where you can have someone on Zoom and, and some people in the room or whatever the situation is. And it's you still can perform at exceptional levels. It, the circumstances don't matter. And that's really what our belief is and why we want to train people in that way. No, I love that. And it makes such a big difference. Again, your work is so needed, so important. And I'm so thankful that you created this book as a tired of people asking me how we do things here. Let's put a book together here, read this. Uh, that's how you do. You follow that. You're going to see some dramatic changes in your organization. So I highly recommend people pick up the book. So David, Justin, love this conversation. Got my brain thinking about a lot of new things too. So where can people find out about your organization? Where can they pick up the book and anything else you'd like to share? Our organization is Blue Case Strategic Partners. We're at bluecase.com. Our book, Be a Better Team by Friday, is available on Amazon. And uh, both David and I are on LinkedIn regularly posting and sharing uh, our thoughts. And so uh, my name is Justin Fallen, F-O-L-L-I-N, and I'm on LinkedIn. And I'm David Greenspan, also on yep. LinkedIn. Yep. I'll definitely have the links to your, your LinkedIn accounts as well as to the organization and the book in the show notes. So really appreciate you too. And, and thank you again for this important work. It's making companies healthier and healthy companies make healthy societies and that just benefits us all. So thank you both again for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.